0: we've begun our Advent season. Radu last week spoke of hope, an historical hope. It's not just for this year. It's shared with millions of people over 2,000 years, and it's not an individual hope, and it's not a different hope for different people. It is one hope for all people, just like it's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one hope. And I loved what Radu had to say Let not the struggle take your hope. Let the struggle convict you to hang on to your hope, to seek it, to dwell on it, to take refuge in it. Don't let the worries of the world, the fear, separate your attention from God's love. Jesus alone was forsaken so that you would not be so. And then Julene gave some great reading to us. She said, I am tethered to Jesus. He is my hope for the future, not the future itself, but him. And who is he to me and will continue to be? That's the hope. As we all know, there's been a flood season for a few weeks here and maybe more to come. Uh, so the rainwater is not receding very well in parts of the Sumas Prairie. Dave and Cheryl Martins attend our church. And Dave was interviewed on CBC in the past week. And this is what he said. We are family of faith. We'll get through this. What does that mean? Hope, peace, joy, love. That's what they're experiencing in spite of this. And they, it's the same Lord for them as for Paul and all the witnesses in the book of Hebrews. This is by faith. That's what Dave means. By faith we'll get through this. Calamity arrives. And now how do we face it? Not alone. Jesus is with us. But we also need others of the same historical hope to walk alongside. Yes, they are connected physically and spiritually to people, brothers and sisters. It's not always hopeful, but not hopeless. And I know Dave has had some wonderful people in our church walk with them through this and continue. A pervasive concept in the Bible is this idea of shalom or peace, peace with God and with one another. In the Old Testament, the term is frequently used as the antithesis of harm and as a synonym for what is good. The Old Testament contains examples of people asking about a person's peace, which equates to inquiry about how is the person really doing internally? We sometimes just say, how are you? and We say, good, not bad, better today than tomorrow. How about if we ask each other, how's your peace? That's a different and a better question. God speaks peace to his people, we read in Psalm 85. He wants to bless them, number 626. And the Hebrew word for peace signifies the welfare of a person in community and has a very comprehensive meaning, which we'll dig into a bit talks about peace in relationships. Again, in the Old Testament, the term peace is often used to describe a relationship characterized by friendship and care and loyalty and love. These relationships can be with God and between people. A close friend in the Old Testament is commonly called a man of peace, a woman of peace. So to be at peace with someone is more than just the cessation of hostilities but a relationship of love and loyalty. And we're seeing that in our church as we have gone through these flood issues together. We need to speak peace to each other, and it's an expression of friendship and blessing, not hatred and cursing. We have a relationship with God marked by loyalty and love by Him. And so we have a relationship of peace with God. Peace with God and one another is fundamental to the promises of Israel's restoration and the new creation that we look forward to, new heaven, new earth. Isaiah 32 promises that when the Spirit, who is the sign of the new age, is poured out, he will create righteousness and peace. God has future plans of peace for his people. It's coming. The prophetic vision of the new creation is a vision of order and peace produced by justice and righteousness. I would call this outside peace. Peace that is outside of our being. Then we also see peace as we greet and have farewell to each other. Jesus himself issued the friendly farewell, go in peace after healing and forgiving people. After his resurrection, Jesus appeared to his disciples several times with the greeting, peace be to you. How's your peace? I want you to have peace internally inside. Jesus' original audience would have understood these phrases as the typical Jewish way to wish someone well peace to you. The New Testament texts often open with the prayer that grace and peace would be given to them. Several New Testament letters also conclude with such prayer wishes. Jesus uses peace in reference to the absence of hostility when he speaks of conflict between family members and states that he did not come to cast peace upon the earth but a sword. We'll dig into that a minute. This statement communicates that although Jesus is the prince of peace, He is also a divisive, polarizing figure because of his unique claims of identity. And when we identify with Jesus, there can be a sort of division. So there will be division and strife on the outside, but Jesus has peace on the inside. We're also looking at a messianic peace, kind of a future peace. The most prevalent concept of peace in the New Testament is the messianic peace, accomplished by Christ, and now experienced by the church. In the Old Testament, the concept of messianic peace referred to both the absence of hostilities and a reconciled relationship with God and others in the context of the new creation, again, the new earth and the new heavens. This messianic peace comes to fruition in the New Testament through Jesus. The angels declared at Jesus' birth, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. Luke 19, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Jesus achieved this messianic peace by means of his death on the cross, which reconciled people to God and to one another. Jesus, after his resurrection, blessed his disciples. Peace be to you. It's now possible. Peace with God, peace with each other. Jesus himself is our peace. Ephesians 2:14. Christians experience peace when they trust in Christ and then begin to grow in their faith. This is what Paul prays for when he asks that the God of hope might fill you with all joy and peace in believing. We continue to believe and grow and have more peace. Paul further promises that when believers cast their cares on God through prayer, the peace of God surpasses or it transcends our Personal understanding, and it will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, Philippians 4, 7. This is a subjective, you might say, inner sense of peace, security, and tranquility. And it's probably what Jesus referred to when he said, My peace I give to you. It's about inside, not on the outside. Jesus links peace with the encouragement to not be afraid. And so we see Jesus fulfills the promises of the Old Testament in regard to Messiah, regards to peace. This is what they had hoped with Jesus, being the prince of peace, that he would actually rule on the outside physically in their land. And he says, no, I'm going to rule inside. That's where I bring peace. We read in Micah chapter 5, 2 to 5, and these verses I'm about to read will be finalized at the end of the age in the new times. In Hebrew, the phrase Bethlehem means house of bread or house of food. And it says this in Micah. In Micah. You Bethlehem, though you are small, out of you will come for me one who will rule over Israel. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. So now I'm going to go through three promises about peace. The first promise is the promise for your soul, Isaiah 53, 4-6. You could read the whole chapter if you like. It says, the Messiah, Jesus, took up our infirmities. He carried our sorrows. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was pierced for our transgressions. When you hear this, what do you notice? The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. He took it, we receive it. He took it, we receive it. By his wounds, we are healed the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So what does it mean to sin, to have iniquity? It means to miss the mark. It's an action or intention that did not hit the bullseye. It can also mean a falling out, a separation when we miss the mark. We move away from God. When we repent, we move toward God. Think of a concert pianist just missing one note. That's missing the mark. Perfection is missed, and it says we all miss the mark, and that's why we need Jesus. Our sins separate us from God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This started in the Garden of Eden and is described in hundreds of ways throughout the Old Testament. There are different words for sin uh, in this passage from Isaiah 53 and throughout the Old Testament. It can mean sickness, sorrow, transgressions, being crooked, twisted instead of a straight. upright. It can be like a serpentine river, which is like the Sumas River, just all over the place. It can mean a willful rebellion against the law to be trespassing against people. It can be someone who is not fair or cheats. Peace is a tranquil state of a soul, assured of its salvation through Christ. And so fearing nothing from God, we have peace with God. We know our sins are covered. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have peace for our soul. Number two, the promise for your heart. It's not just about waiting now and all suffering with no hope or peace or joy. No, we can have this now. John 14, 27. Jesus said, peace I leave with you now. My peace now I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. So don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. I'm going to give you some peace. That's his peace. It's something the world out there on the outside cannot give us. It's a person. It's Jesus. It's a Jesus into our hearts. Worldly peace in the time of Jesus is usually defined by the absence of conflict. That's what they wanted. But he says, no, I'm going to give you peace inside. Full justice, things being righteous and correct and true, that will come one day. That's outside stuff. Jesus is talking about inside stuff. His peace is not about changing governments or instituting a theocracy where everything is ruled by a Christian. It's peace inside. Jesus owns it. He owns his peace. He lived in it. It's ours for the taking. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, he had turmoil and calamity in his soul, and he said, your will be done. And Jesus has received peace in his heart. He knew his Father was pleased, and he did his will, and he was at peace with going to the cross. The history of the church shows that the peace Jesus is talking about is not the elimination of hostility. Many times we have hostility because of Jesus because of Jesus, we will create hostility. He said, I've come not to bring peace, but a sword. There will be division in your families. So what is meant by the world, not as the world gives? Because the world tries to give us peace. We try to get peace from the world. 1 John 2, 15, 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and all these desires, and they pass away, but the person who does the will of God lives forever. So we try to get peace, satisfaction, joy, hope from our possessions, things we can buy, things we can, toys we can have, maybe recognition or accomplishments, but Jesus says that's how the world gives peace. Why did Jesus speak this way? Because the peace which comes from a human being is easily destroyed and subject to many changes. But Christ's peace is strong, unshaken, firm, fixed, steadfast, immune to death, and it is unending. Thirdly, about peace. It's a promise for today. We've talked a bit about that. Jesus talked about the reality of a troubled heart. Go to Jesus for the needs of your heart. John sixteen thirty three. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but in me you'll have peace. He's basically saying trouble's on its way. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Take heart. I have overcome the world. So we need to receive his peace. There's no reservations needed ahead of time. There's no lineups to get it. Just go and get it. Jesus will give you peace. Paul describes it this way philippians 4 6 and 7 do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and petition present your requests to god and what happens the peace of god which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in christ jesus that's what it means to be a family of faith his peace is transcendental at this core what does that mean to to transcend means to surpass, to go beyond the ordinary limits of power. It goes beyond our understanding. It's superior. It's extraordinary. It's supernatural. It's outside of ourselves. That's what this peace is. And Paul knew about this peace all the times in prison and being persecuted and being left for dead. He had peace. Paul was not just a typewriter in the hands of God. He experienced a troubled heart, and he experienced the peace. He said, I've experienced this. His peace will transcend your understanding. The Bible is human and personal. It's full of human emotions and human pains and human suffering and human temptations, but also full of human joys and victories and peace and hope. His word is for us. Your heart and mind will be guarded and you will experience peace. Not maybe, or chances are, but you will experience his peace. Paul had experienced it. Stephen experienced it when he was about to be killed with rocks being thrown at him. Said he had like the glow of an angel in him. He had peace. In all the troubles and pain and suffering, these saints developed character, and from that hope came peace. John sixteen thirty three. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Take heart, I have overcome the world. I'm repeating this because we need to hear it more than once. Why did he tell them this? He is leaving. And they're going, oh no, who will we follow? Who will be our pilot? I can't fly a plane. And he said, no, don't worry, you'll see me again. I will prepare a place for you. I will come back and take you to be with me and you'll be where I am. But I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He will be in you. You'll have peace inside. Yes, you'll be scattered. You'll run You'll be persecuted, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Early he had told them that he will be giving them this peace. That's from John 14, 27. Again, people, we need to hear this. I need to hear this. I leave you peace. My peace, I give you. I give you. Do we see the picture? The situation they're in? They were feeling hopeless. They were not at peace. And Jesus said, guys, here it is. Now, we don't have the same scenario as those early disciples, but similar emotions and fears can grip us. And the same peace Jesus promised the disciples is available to us today. Your situation is your situation. Do not grade it as unimportant. Yes, there might be bigger, bigger problems out in the world than yours, but your stuff is real, and it is disrupting your peace. Perhaps you've got a cancer diagnosis or dementia for a loved one. The list could go on. Having Jesus does not guarantee protection from these things. That's on the outside. But peace throughout them. This is the truth as experienced by Jesus himself in the first apostles. This is not a warning, but a statement of hope and encouragement. Things might go from bad to worse. And it did for the early followers of Jesus. But peace will be yours. Peace is offered by Jesus. It's not a detached philosophical attitude or just saying, Oh, well, things happen make the most of it. It is a promise that evil and suffering do not ultimately win. They will not prevail against Jesus. And this peace we have comes through the defeat of death through the resurrection from the dead of Jesus, our Lord. What the world thought was defeat was actually victory. Trouble does not mean defeat. We can know, we have forgiveness of our sins. And that brings us ultimate peace with God. And we have the presence of God in our lives. That's also an ultimate peace. God has judged our sin on the cross. We have totally been forgiven. There is a remission of sins. A total miracle has occurred. Our sins have been nailed to the cross and done with. No more spiritual debt, so to speak. It is like the financially bankrupt person is now totally cleared, all loans totally forgiven. And for us, we can say the spiritually dead and the spiritually bankrupt person is totally cleared. Forgiveness of our sin debts, it's permanent. And those who hold fast to Jesus and refuse a second best compromised discipleship will have this peace as a gift that the world cannot give. Tethered to Jesus. This is the experience of the heroes of the faith as you read in Hebrews chapter 11. There's a great song written by Rich Mullins back in the 80s or 90s, don't remember. It's called, Hold Me Jesus. He says, hold me Jesus, I am shaking like a leaf. You have been my king of glory. Won't you be my prince of peace? That's what we need. Now this peace is not some divinely imposed anesthesia that numbs us to the troubles and difficulties in life. It's not a mind illusion of peacefulness when in reality things are chaotic. No, we do experience evil. We have true fear and trouble. They're really true. It's not an illusion, but he says, I will give you peace. It's a gift from God. And it is a result of having the Prince of Peace resident in the control center of our life. It is a peace on our heart not necessarily the removal of enemies or difficulties in our lives. The whole idea of needing peace is totally unnecessary if there were no troubles. That's why we always need to go to our Prince of Peace. When we have the new life in the new heaven, the new earth, we will have no need to ask for peace. Just like we will have no need to seek or ask for hope, we will be experiencing perfection. The greatest wish for many people is to have a heart and life that is not in need of wishes. <laughs> you know, that's the experience of heaven. But in the meantime, we live in this world and we will have trouble. We will always need to have peace as we go through every day of our lives. I want to close with some thoughts from Heidi Hodson. She's one of our, I'd say, great poets and writers in our church. And here's what she said said, we talked about hope last week, and this week, the big word is peace. Because while my hope is being restored, I long for that deep restorative rest that only can happen when I feel at peace. She says, this has been a difficult year with many challenges, both globally and personally. When there is so much out of my control, she says, I need peace to open my hands and bend my knees to my Savior. I truly believe that Jesus is able to not only bring me peace in the midst of my chaos, but also can equip me and show me where and when and how to bring his hope and peace to others. She says, I still feel the anxiety and the restlessness that comes with this broken world, but I do love this life and the goodness and beauty within it. I'm humbled and in awe of God's creation. So my journey continues with a little more hope, my heart hungry for peace. I pray I will be surprised and stretched along the way. And I know my searching begins and ends at the foot of the cross. And so today we light the peace candle. Peter begins and ends his first letter with peace. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. And then to end it, he says, Peace to all who are in Christ. And the prophet Isaiah says this, For a child has been born for us, a son given to us, authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of Peace.